This is episode 300 of the AWS podcast, released on February 24th, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lucia here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a returning very special guest. I'm joined by John Handler, who's a principal solution architect here at Amazon Web Services. G'day, John. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Thank you, Simon. And uh, regular listeners will know that John is our expert on all things related to uh, Amazon Elasticsearch service. And we are going to do a bit of a deep dive today in terms of when and how to use it. But before we do, there are some very cool recent launches that have happened in this space that customers will be pretty excited about, including some very large numbers, John. So maybe do you want to give us a quick rundown of what's happened lately? Yeah, sure. Uh, So one thing is we've added support for node-to-node encryption And that has enabled us to fall under HIPAA and PCI compliance. So customers who need uh, HIPAA compliant or have HIPAA compliant workloads can now run those workloads on Amazon Elasticsearch service. But those were not actually the numbers you were referring to. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) in terms of numbers, uh, we've raised our upper limit on the number of data instances that you can have in a domain to 200. Uh, with 200 data nodes and with i3 16x large uh, Elasticsearch instances, you can now reach three petabytes of storage online. That's a serious number we, because, as, as I think we've talked about before, is is uh, the team doesn't increase these limits because it's a nice science experiment. It's because someone needs that big a cluster. <laughs> Absolutely. We do have customers who are out beyond the one petabyte range and talking to customers who are even larger than that. Wow. So uh, we're very excited to bring these these limit raises. I, I will put in a quick plug. Uh, I have a blog post which should be launching shortly uh, that talks through some best practices for extremely large clusters on Elasticsearch service. Uh, if you are considering launching a cluster that large, I would point you at that. And also, uh, it does have some good advice just in general on scale. Good one, good one. And also, uh, the the engine has been updated to 6.4 support, so some good features and benefits of that one? That's correct. We still are on a good cadence uh, in terms of supporting new versions of Elasticsearch. Uh, you know, we're looking at about a one a quarter cadence, and uh, that's about where we feel we should be. We do a lot of work uh, when a new version of Elasticsearch comes out to security test and, and scale test and stability test. We're looking to bring out you know, well-supported versions of Elasticsearch. And there's an update into the number of availability zones you can deploy a cluster into. That's correct. So just last week, we launched support for three availability zones. Uh, up to the present, the, up to that launch, the service had supported two availability zones. And as many customers pointed out, uh, we have three master nodes deployed uh, across two zones. And those master nodes need to, do, need to be there to make the cluster available. Um, so in the event of a, a unavailability of one of those uh, zones, you might lose the cluster. Now with our 3AZ support, you can deploy across three zones uh, and keep things more stable. Excellent. Some good some good updates there. But that's not the, the intent of this particular episode per se. What we thought we'd do is dive into where you would use Amazon Elasticsearch, why, and then some best practices in terms of the how which John has teased a little bit. So, so John, how do you figure out whether this is a technology that fits into an architecture? Absolutely. So there are two main classes of use cases that we have and that our customers run. 
Uh, the first of those is a text search use case. And the second is a log analytics use case. So under the text search bucket, uh, this one is a pretty easy decision to make. Uh, you know, if you have application data that you want searched, something like an e-commerce application or a curated data set uh, would be another kind of application data. Uh, data Lake is another kind of uh, application data that you might want to search. So if you want to provide a Google-like search across a set of documents that you have, then Elasticsearch Service fits nicely for that. And the benefits of the service there, apart from providing search, you know, are all the benefits uh, running on an AWS service in terms of we manage infrastructure and security and monitoring, and uh, we have integration with CloudWatch for metrics. Uh, we handle software updates, high availability, uh, make it simple to deploy and simple to scale. So across the board, if you're considering a managed service, Amazon Elasticsearch Service provides all those baseline features on top of uh, your search use case. So really what you're saying is that there's a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting that we can get rid of. But this technology suits a number of different use cases. You talked about the, the, the sort of search use case. Where else is it applied to? Yeah, our, our larger use case uh, by customers, a you know, majority of use cases, are log analytics type use cases. And this is where you have, you know, most classically, you have some infrastructure logs, uh, things like uptime and CPU uh, metrics and disk usage metrics across a fleet of servers. You're flowing that data into Elasticsearch and then using uh, Kibana, which is a open source thin web client to build visualizations to monitor your, uh, your infrastructure for uptime. Uh, there are a number of related use cases around this. There's uh, security event information management. Uh, there is application performance monitoring, KPI monitoring, all sorts of uh, sort of monitoring workloads that fall generally into the analytics bucket. So we have a lot of customers who have uh, some questions around, okay, well, I have all of this analytics data, and which tool should I apply to analyze that data, right? Obviously, within AWS, we have a number of different analytics tools that can help with that. Mm -hmm. so, what I, so what I would say is, if your focus is on a real-time kind of dashboarding or analysis solution, then Elasticsearch is most likely the solution for you. Its emphasis is on that kind of real-time component and getting data through that pipeline very quickly. So, so is this an exclusive use case or is it a kind of thing where you may use a variety of different analysis tools in combination? So maybe you'll use fragments like CloudWatch Insights and use that as well as Elasticsearch or is it an either or type conversation? We do have a number of customers that have older or colder data that they're storing off to S3. So, you know, one of the one of the primary ways that we talk about using it is Elasticsearch would serve as your hot store that you would put the last seven days or maybe 14 days of data in. And then S3 is your cold backing store, where which would enable use cases around, say, Athena or potentially Insights or EMR or, you know, other BI tools, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a sort of combination uh, that we see quite frequently where customers are using Elasticsearch for hot data and other solutions for colder data. 
Interesting, interesting. And so if you if you go ahead and say, well, this is this is for me, this is something that fits into my environment, what's the starting point? How do you go about building out this component? Yeah, so with Elasticsearch Service, um, we provide you console level and API level uh, access, as well as, of course, CloudFormation and other templating solutions that uh, provide you the means of deploying an Elasticsearch Service domain. Uh, domain is our collective term for the hardware and software comprising your Elasticsearch cluster plus our AWS management. Um, so it can be very easy to deploy an Elasticsearch service domain and start flowing data into it. And so when you're thinking about you know, the, the sizing of, of, these, of these domains, what are the dimensions that typically you'd, uh, you'd map to? So Elasticsearch is a clustered, uh, clustered solution. So with Elasticsearch, you're running a number of nodes, each of which are running an Elasticsearch process, and they communicate with one another and collectively handle your workload. So the first thing that you're looking at is how many instances do you want in your cluster? And then the second thing is uh, what kind of storage do you want to deploy to hold your data and for processing? Within instances, then we support a number of different instance types, which have different emphases uh, in terms of their processing capabilities. And so right when you come to that first decision, okay, I'm gonna use Elasticsearch service, then you need to figure out, okay, well, what instances am I gonna employ to hold my data? And how am I gonna store that data in the cluster? And so we're thinking here across dimensions of both storage and the compute capacity as well, because depending on the use case that you're running, it's going to be that classic, it depends, isn't it? Yes, there is a lot of it depends. Uh, I'm on the <laughs> phone with customers quite often. And, uh, you know, I unfortunately have to say it depends a lot. Howard, there's some principles that we can use and that, that make it a little bit easier to find a starting point. Because what I would say with Elasticsearch Service, you're finding a starting point, deploying, and then monitoring and adjusting. With Elasticsearch service, we do make it easy for you to rescale your cluster via API or console or command line, what have you. Uh, and we bring in the, a new cluster at, a, at the different scale seamlessly. So it's a kind of a one-click scale. So it's very easy to deploy, monitor, and adjust. So if I'm thinking about my, my capacity, am I, am I basically saying how big a storage capacity do I need and then divide that by a, a sensible number of nodes? Like do I go for a, a lot of small nodes, a few big nodes? And I probably should point out that that each instance is single tenanted, so they're, they're, they're my instances. But how do I figure out what that sort of divide by number is? Yeah, I really like to go at this from two different angles, as you said. There's, there's a storage angle, which simplifies really finding the starting point, is focusing on the storage that you need to hold the data uh, that you want to put in the cluster and use. Um, so we, you can do a very simple approximation by saying, okay, if I have, let's say I have uh, 100,000 bytes of data. That's not a lot of data, but I can start with my original source size of data. As I push that data into Elasticsearch, Elasticsearch creates indexes out of it, and the indexes are, are data structures that are not the same size as my source data, of course. So we generally find empirically that there's about a 10% inflation between the source data size and the size on disk of that data. So that's a, the first piece. 
Then the second piece is within Elasticsearch, uh, you will want to use at least one replica of your data to provide redundancy. So I need to double the storage that I've used uh, for my single source of data. So if I was at 100,000 bytes, I'd be at 110,000 bytes on disk. With my replica, I'd be at 220,000 bytes. And I then need to account for, uh, if I'm doing a normal log analytics case, I'm going to be rolling that data over every day and storing a certain amount of data, uh, say a week or two weeks worth of data. If I'm storing a week's worth of data, then I multiply by seven. So that puts me at, uh-oh, <laughs> uh, 1.4 and 140. Math well, is let's, hard. Let's, <laughs> yeah, math is hard. Let's just call it 1.5 uh, megabytes of data. Uh, and so then on, at the la as the last piece, I need to add a little bit of overhead so that Elasticsearch doesn't uh, run out of disk space or run into some of its internal watermarks where it'll stop deploying data. That's 15%. So from my 1.5, I then go to about 1.7. And so that is my, my size on disk for my data. And I guess that gives you at least a, like you said, that, that starting point for what you think the sizing should be. And then the good thing is, is if you get it wrong, <laughs> you can just change it. It's not, it's not correct. that, you that just, big a deal. Correct. You just adjust. Just to uh, you know, make it a little bit simpler, I want to point uh, everybody at a blog post I wrote about t-shirt sizing your Amazon Elasticsearch service domain. Uh, you can find that on our databases blog. And I go through not only this formula, but uh, a number of different other points are, that we're gonna get into around the CPU usage. But anyway, this formula is all written out, so you don't have to worry about it. You can go uh, look up that blog post and, and see it there. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. So you mentioned yeah. CPU. And so how does that tie into to the number of nodes you'd be thinking about? Because obviously if I take it from a simplistic perspective, I just take the amount of storage I need and then divide it by a big enough sort of node size to roughly divide into it and call it good. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> now we get into the really seriously, de it depends. Um, <laughs> it depends, it depends. <laughs> it depends, it depends. So once I've, once I've figured out how much storage I need and I get that, baseline in terms of how many instances I'm, I'm going to have, as you say, by dividing, then I have to kind of squint at it funny. And there's a couple of road posts here. Uh, one of them is, if you're larger than three or four terabytes of storage, then we would go right to the i3 instances. And that is because cost per gigabyte month, compared with what you can get on EBS volumes, the i3s are not only roughly in line with, say, the R4s with EBS, but they also provide better performance through their attached ephemeral store. So we have two use cases here. One of them is you're larger than three to four terabytes, in which case we go right to I3s, and they're smaller than three to four terabytes, in which case you can optimize a little bit deploying smaller EBS volumes. Now, if we look at uh, what you get in terms of compute, then we want to focus in on uh, how much concurrency you're handling in terms of how active are your indexes. Under the covers, your indexes are going to be split into shards, and those shards are deployed onto instances by Elasticsearch. When I send data to index or when I send queries, those shards are activated and need CPUs to run. 
especially for the log analytics case, then we're talking about the indexes I'm building for today and how many shards they have, those will map onto my CPUs. And so I can somewhat say, if I look at my shard count and my CPU count, they should be roughly in line, although there should be, you know, there should be maybe 20 to 40% more vCPUs than I have shards to leave me additional CPUs for system and other sort of tasks. So that's kind of how we frame the discussion around CPU, is looking at what are the underlying shards, how many of them are there, and how many of them are active, and then how does the active shard count map to the CPU count that I've deployed across the cluster. Mm. So you have control really by applying those ratios as to what the performance looks like. So if your cluster is running really, really slow, you may be starved for compute resource versus having a storage issue. Now, clearly this monitoring and adjusting process is vital to keeping the cluster running well, particularly as you get to those larger sizes or if you have a heavily used cluster. And we've talked about the fact that we can easily change the different dimensions of the cluster, but to make those decisions, we, we need data, don't we? So what's the monitoring situation like for these clusters? Right. So in uh, we do uh, publish to CloudWatch several metrics that are really the kind of key metrics around monitoring for performance and sizing. Uh, first of those would be the CPU. So if you look at your uh, individual CPUs per instance, or if you look at your average CPU across the cluster, you want that to be less than 80% average. Uh, if you find you're running average more than 80%, then you need more CPU, right? So then you would need to add additional instances to that cluster. Mm. The second one is the JVM memory pressure. And this is a metric that uh, exposes how well the garbage collection is working. Basically, we're, we're comparing survival to new heap members, and then we're giving you a metric based off of that. So if your JVM memory pressure starts to go above 90%, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> if it goes above 80%, you need to do something. And the solution here is to deploy more JVM. So this is part of the picture of uh, sizing for compute is also uh, realizing that you have to have enough JVM online to be able to have Elastic, the Elasticsearch process handle your requests, right? We deploy 50% of any instance's uh, RAM to be used by the JVM. And that's true up to about 31 and a half gigabytes. Up to that point, we'll keep making the JVM bigger. Beyond that, you have to have more instances. Gotcha. And just to put that in instance perspective, that means that at the i3 2x large, or basically the 2x large level, you're going to get the biggest JVM per instance that you can get. Beyond that, you have to go wide. Gotcha. So we're trying to make it performant and easy as much as possible without having to, to customize or to, to adjust. But at some point, it gets really, really big. and You have to go scale out rather right. than scale up. Yeah. And so in that case, again, monitoring your JVM memory pressure will let you know Number one, when your garbage collection is succeeding, uh, you'll see your, your JVM memory pressure will look like a sawtooth, right? Yeah. You'll, it'll build, 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 and it'll drop. Elasticsearch sets those uh, boundaries at 50% and 75%. So if you have a nice sawtooth between 50 and 75%, that's great. Uh, if you are getting up to 75% and still you see it 
able to reclaim space in the in the heap, you see the garbage collection successful, then you're still fine. If it goes up into the right, you're in trouble. And so we've talked a bit about, I guess, the memory side of things and a bit about CPU. What about storage? Are things like queue depth and other performance type aspects something we need to keep right. in mind? Yeah. So we uh, recently released, uh, you know, an, an augmentation of the metrics that we expose. And that includes now instance level metrics. Before we didn't expose CPU except at an aggregate level. Now you can get down to an individual instance level. And we also exposed the queue depths. Within Elasticsearch, there are queues that take your requests, and at an instance and shard level, they hold those requests and process them, obviously, in the order they come. Now, your queues should be empty, right? That's the best case scenario. You're processing everything. It's nothing is sitting there. Yeah. Um, if, you see your, if you see your queue depths start to go up, then you know that you don't have enough processing uh, capacity online, and you have to increase that. Uh, if you start to see rejected executions, again, that's an, a new metric that we expose, that is saying that your queue overflowed and Elasticsearch rejected that request. That's obviously a case where uh, you need you need more. And this is, I think, a really interesting example of where the elasticity of the cloud really makes life easier for customers. Because if we think about an, an Elasticsearch cluster over its lifetime of potentially many, many years, the, the inputs are going to change over time. The volumes are going to change over time. There's a whole lot of variables that probably are almost impossible to predict at the very start of the life cycle of that component in the architecture. And so by being able to monitor these key metrics and then react by changing the dimensions of the cluster when you need to, as a customer, that puts you in a really powerful position, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the kind of thing where you do need to make these changes because, as you say, over the lifetime of the cluster, you're going to see different workloads. You're going to see you know, more or less requirement. And so to be able to basically push a button and change your sizing uh, is, is really helpful. Now, because you've been asked these questions many, many times, you've uh, conveniently put together a, a reInvent talk that talks about a lot of this and some uh, blog posts that we'll, of course, also link to in the show notes. But essentially, sure. your, your kind of positioning with customers, from what I understand, is to, to kind of create a, a set of fundamental, as you mentioned, T-shirt-sized domains that are good entry points. So how, how does someone think about those? So with the T-shirt sizing, uh, I took a few sort of orders of magnitude examples and worked them out as full, uh, full scale, sort of based on storage and then uh, with some boundaries or some guardrails around how much uh, you could expect in terms of the compute of that cluster. So if you start with that article, uh, number one, you'll be able to use that formula to figure out your baseline in terms of storage. And then you'll be able to look at a table that just will give you some guidance in terms of roughly where you need to land uh, with the instance type and instance count. Excellent. So you could sort of, uh, again, sort of do, use it as a bit of a ready reckoner and say, well, this is a good enough starting point, And then we can start iterating based on that. Exactly. And I will highlight that those are starting points. And, and I put this in a note in the article too, that your mileage will certainly vary. <laughs> and I'm doing my best to give you a point to begin at. Exactly. But I guess what, what's interesting here is, you know, we were sort of talking about a lot of things that you, you tinker with and monitor and change. And 
I guess you get to spend the time on that part because that has a direct effect on the user experience, you know, how fast your, your searches take place, et cetera, because you're not worrying about maintaining the hardware, the security updates and software updates can be applied automatically, the HA is in there. That's, that's kind of all baked in. So it's only the performance and outcome-based metric components that you're really playing with, isn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, to return to a point that you briefly touched on, should you use lots of teeny tiny instances or should you use a few big instances? And this is kind of a perennial question and debate <laughs> and there's not a right answer, right? But I'd say some of the things that would drive you in one direction or the other uh, is that as a general rule, we prefer to scale up rather than out uh, for query performance. And that's because each query has to be distributed across the instances in the cluster. And so the fewer the fewer the instances, the less network you have to do and the less variation in network timing there is. Uh, and that can be a very important component. Uh, so as a general rule, scale up. When do you need to scale out? Uh, well, for instance, for very high volume writes, you want to distribute that much more widely than you know, perhaps a very big instance can give you. So that's one of the cases. Another case is where, again, your JVM becomes very heavily used and you need more JVM space, then again, you would tend to go out wide. For query processing in general, go up. For writes in general, go out. Those are, those are the rules of thumb. The <laughs> second level, yeah. <laughs> and it's, again, it's very hard to go far beyond that, but yeah. those are baseline. Very nice. John, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast and, and diving a little deeper into the magical world of uh, Amazon Elasticsearch. Thank you, Simon. I really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback at at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.